We will be talking to Dr. Paul Kershaw of UBC about Generation Squeeze. That's coming up in just a handful of minutes. John, what are we talking about on Vancouver Real Estate today? Well, Ian, and, uh, good morning, no sign, uh, Ian, of Airbnb slowing down in Vancouver faced with a tight rental crunch. Clearly, Airbnb is making an aggressive move into the market with their latest campaign. Councillor George Affleck, first the short-term rental site teamed up with Cardigo to entice hosts to sign up on Airbnb. Now it's out with a new incentive. They're trying to lure more people into signing up and putting their places for rent. Uh, new people to list their homes here in Vancouver. The online campaign reads, Become a host, Ian, and earn $250 cash bonus. Uh, Councillor George Affleck saying that Airbnb or any company has the right to market themselves and if this is the way they choose to do it, then that's their prerogative. Uh, Airbnb is part of the problem. He says that people are not renting their units for long term, and it's certainly having an impact, he's saying, on the Vancouver rental market. Uh, to earn the cash, you need to sign up and uh, complete a booking by the end of September. Last year, 5,000 Vancouver units were listed through Airbnb, and we all know the vacancy rate in Vancouver is uh, very, very low. Well, a Richmond realtor, Ian, has had his license suspended after closing deals referred to him from a Chinese real estate website. Realtor Albert Wong was referred 17 clients between November 2012 and July of 2013 from a Chinese website aimed at pushing Metro Vancouver real estate. According to a consent order posted by the Real Estate Council of BC, Wang says he was approached by a woman called FN who isn't licensed. She was going to start a website. Their agreement between the pair, Wang would arrange showings, draft up contracts, and make offers, but he'd have to pay back 90% of his commissions. He agreed, and at the end of it, he paid more than $200,000 direct from his a personal real estate account. Uh, he's been disciplined for paying referral fees to an unlicensed brokerage without telling clients. Uh, the website has redacted from the document, but vanfund.com shows up near the end of the consent form. His license was suspended this week for one year, and he's required to pay up to $10,000 to the council and also complete the Realtor uh, Real Estate Trading Services remedial course there. It's not the first time he's been in trouble. He was suspended back in 2012 for two weeks for guess what? Shadow flipping. No. Could Metro Vancouver's housing market be slowing down? Well, according to MLS data available only to realtors but that we obtained, it's down 86% from the first two weeks of August compared to the same time period last year. Now, the city's hardest hit, according to realtor Steve Soretsky, uh, the ones most attractive to foreign buyers, Vancouver, South Delta, Richmond, and Burnaby. Richmond went from 89 homes sold to just uh, 12 in the same time period. West Vancouver went from 75 to 15, and that's just detached homes. He says he's already seen homes sell for less. Do you think that's happening? Do you think that the prices are coming down? I haven't seen a lot of evidence of that. Uh, he's saying there's evidence right there of it. Um, I would, I would say. Well, well, what he's saying is sales are down, not so much the. He's, he thinks that prices are down. I don't think that that's clear he, just yet. He's saying sales are down. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But the prices are still pretty steady. Yeah, there's no, there's no proof about the prices, but yeah, he's saying this sales numbers. Well, let's down. just let's consider that inventory is still very, very tight, so that would keep the prices up. I think the real numbers will will be told next month. Yeah, that could be true. Uh, Aaron Jasper, another realtor, works primarily in Vancouver, and 
Uh, he says he's seen some deals at lower prices for detached homes, also condos and townhomes, and even with subject clauses. The, uh, the thing that we're seeing now is that sellers are listing their properties more in line with what they think or what they've been advised as the fair market value. He's cautioning that there seems to be a flood of jilted prospective buyers on the sidelines who won't be waiting much longer when the busy months of September and October arrive. I have several buyers working in the Vancouver area primarily, uh, some looking for condos, a few looking for houses. We're out there quite aggressively. I think there's an anticipation that if we can find the right property right now with the, the lull in activity, and it's definitely a great time to buy. So yeah, he's saying, you know what, there's a little window right now that uh, could be nice for, for buyers. Now, according to a release by U.S. ratings agency Fitch, Fitch Ratings, Vancouver's monthly sales have declined substantially by over 21% since they peaked in February this year. Uh, they say a more substantial real risk to Vancouver home prices could actually be uh, the rise in unemployment, not the foreign buyer's tax, but that doesn't look likely yet. Uh, if you look at the numbers, Vancouver added uh, over 83,000 jobs in the last year. Uh, unemployment rate has fallen to 5.5%. That's the lowest in our country. And uh, overall, Fitch said they estimate home prices in Canada overvalued by more than 20%. Even if you go 20%, that's still in this market only puts you back 10 or 12 months. <laughs> you know, think about yeah, it, right? Yeah, the, with sure. the increases that we've seen. Yeah, so it's. It's all very interesting. The BC Real Estate Association also came out with its third quarter reporting, and this time around, they're predicting the 15% foreign buyers tax will have a moderating effect on the housing market here in Metro Vancouver through to the rest of the year. However, that would be offset, they say, by strong sales and markets outside of Metro Vancouver. Residential sales are expected to climb this year to about 10%, which would actually break the previous record set back in 2005. Uh, the BC Real Estate Association also predicting housing demand will moderate by next year, but only by about 8%. Now let's talk about renting. And it's crunch time if you have a, a student or if you're a student going to UBC and you want to get campus housing, which is probably a little bit cheaper than renting outside. Nearly 6,000 students are waiting for a roof over their head come September. Andrew Parr is with UBC and he says the wait list is getting longer year after year. At over 12,000 units, it's just not enough there. We're in the midst right now of growing our housing inventory by about 3,500 beds. So in, uh, between 2015 and 2020, we've opened two new complexes in the last couple of years that have added about 2,300 beds uh, to the campus. And we have three other projects on the go. By the time the school starts, uh, he says around 5,800 students will be left uh, without uh, on-campus housing. Uh, 46% of students housed are international. The remaining Canadian, he says, rents can go from 600 to 1,200 a month out at UBC. And uh, we also have the Fraser Institute calculating that the average Canadian family, Ian, paid $34,000 in taxes of all sorts last year, including hidden business taxes, which are pass along in the price of goods and services that you buy. So that's 42% of the cash income the average Canadian family takes in. By comparison, while well, the average Canadian family spent 30000 or 37% of their total income on housing, food, and also, also putting clothing on your back. So those are some of the stories that made the headlines this week and some of the stories we've been following for you on Real Estate Today. Nicely done, John. Uh, very comprehensive and easy to follow and understand, which is our goal on Vancouver Real Estate Today. Coming up next is Generation Squeeze with Dr. Paul Kershaw of UBC. That's next on News Talk 980 CKNW. We're going to talk about Generation Squeeze right now. We're joined on the line 
by Dr. Paul Kershaw, who is the founder of Generation Squeeze, an advocacy group for policies that are more fair for the millennial generation of Canadians. Thanks for taking some time on the weekend to join us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. You bet. Nice to have you. Now, can we start right off the top about your doppelganger? Yeah, we can, by all means, go for it. Because when I saw a picture of you, and I'm show John, have you seen this picture? No. Yeah, you know who that looks like, eh? Take a, take a good look at that. He, this, this man is a doppelganger of Seth Rogen. Yeah, I was going to say that. <laughs> 100% the now, hair, the glasses, the, the, the chin, everything. To be fair, Paul's better looking than Seth Rogen. Well, absolutely, and Paul is a doctor, so we'll, we'll be respectful. Uh, so now we got, thank you for letting me get that off my chest. My pleasure. You're certainly not the first to point it out. I'm I sure not. As funny as he was. Let's uh, start before we get into some other topics. Uh, let's talk about this uh, petition. You've got an online petition running right now. Uh, with regard to skyrocketing house prices that not just in this market but across the country and how they affect young adults that are trying just to, to stay afloat, let alone get into the market. So will you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so in May we published a study coming out of UBC which we called Code Red, and we used that language to try and signal the urgency with which we need to recognize how much more the returns to real estate investments have been over the last several decades compared to growth in wages. And as a result, for the aging population that we have today, when they were young adults, it only took five years on average in this country to save a 20% down payment on a typical home from coast to coast. That was consistent in BC. It was also the norm in Metro Vancouver. But if you flash forward to today, it now takes the typical 25 to 34 year old in Canada 12 years to save a 20% down payment. That alone is a seven year deterioration in the standard of living. And if you look at Metro Toronto, it's 15 years. In all of BC, it's 16. And in Metro Vancouver, if one were audacious enough to think that sheer he could actually get into an average home, it would take 23 years. You'd have to start saving in childcare. Wow. And But isn't that a good idea anyway? Shouldn't, uh, if you have the ability uh, to, for example, if you're becoming a parent, would you not want to set up some kind of a fund right off the bat? I mean, that's how I got into the market. My grandparents set up an account for me when I was but a toddler, and I was able to parlay that into a down payment when I came around to buying property. I think that's absolutely a fantastic strategy, especially thinking intergenerationally as you're proposing. But no matter what, we just have to recognize the degree to which uh, the returns to real estate in the last several decades have simply been leaving wages behind. And that signals then for a younger demographic trying to make a go of it in the market, either as renters or aspiring homeowners. It's just so much more challenging. Can't argue that point, but what I would like to ask you in that regard with wages not keeping up with real estate, what can we possibly do about that? Uh, there are a couple of things. So first, we need to rethink how we use uh, policy signals to encourage people to recognize that we need our housing market first and foremost to be a supply of homes and only secondarily return on investments. And so one thing we could do is recognize that in Canada, we rely a lot on income taxation and we don't tax housing wealth very much. So, for instance, when it comes to measuring somebody's ability to pay for their health care and their retirement income security, etc., we treat two people who make $40,000 almost identically. But one might be a renter and one might have a $750,000 home. They're not the same. 
So one thing we could do is cut both of those people's income taxes and simultaneously increase taxes on housing wealth to better measure people's ability to pay for the services like medical care and retirement income security they need, and simultaneously signal that housing in and of itself isn't necessarily going to be the top place we want people to be sinking their dollars when searching for returns on investment. Mm -hmm. That'd be the first thing I would recommend. I know that will be provocative and it might ruffle some feathers amongst listeners today. The second thing is we have to recognize that my mom, for instance, 72, she's counting on the equity that she's accumulated over the years with the increases in her property values over time. And I want that for her. I don't want anything less than for my mom to have a healthy financial financially secure retirement. But my mom is then saying, okay, so that means we don't want my home price to really go down. Maybe it won't keep going up, but I don't really want it to go down. And if that's the case, then my mom's generation needs to get on board uh, in support of her kids and grandchildren's generation saying, hey, we can't let other things continue to be mortgage size and cost. Child care right now over a year costs the equivalent of another mortgage payment. Going on leave when young people are starting their families means they lose the equivalent of a third mortgage payment. Transit often further from where people work or study is adding up to a fourth mortgage payment. Let's bring those costs down because policy can do that relatively straightforwardly. And then we can better position young adults to deal with the new reality of higher home prices, either as renters or aspiring homeowners. So you're suggesting that taxes on housing would go into these infrastructure things such as transit, lowering the price of these kinds of services? Yeah, that would be one important way to do it. And also to anticipate the fact that whereas the aging population that has done the most well in the housing market, they had, and they've also done a lot to prepay, say, for their Canada public pension plan, there hasn't been the same prepaying for our health care system. And so what we've been doing in BC and across Canada is directing most of our economic growth to pay for increasing demands on health care with an aging population. And what I'm proposing is that we could increasingly tap into housing wealth to help do that as well and leave some dollars left over to invest in things like childcare and parental leave and transit so that a younger demographic facing way higher housing prices doesn't get cobbled with unaffordability problems in a range of other places. Is the employment issue due to lack of uh, good work or is it just simply a lack of uh, of wages meeting the demand as uh, as the economy grows i'm trying to figure out uh, if, if is it just a question of that we have we know that unemployment has gone up a little bit uh we know that uh, wages aren't keeping up i'm trying to understand why the wages haven't kept up two broad factors the first is that in the mid-1970s early 80s when baby boomers were young adults and whatnot We didn't have the same ability for companies to tap into globalization and relocate and really get into the cheapest labor that exists anywhere on the planet. But there are so many greater opportunities now to use workers in Mexico, India, and China. And so that has had a dampening influence on wages in the decades since. And secondly... Um, there are probably many boomer parents listening today who've encouraged their kids to go get a university degree, and that was going to be the path to paving their financial security going forward. But the reality is that the returns to education today are not what they were uh, in the mid-1970s and early 80s. In the mid-1970s, if you got a university degree, you were relatively unusual, and you could compete with someone who had five, six, seven years more experience than you. Today, you get a university degree, and most people have post-secondary, and it doesn't. It means that the, the education isn't allowing people to outcompete experience in quite the same way. So basically, a, a BA or a, even a Bachelor of Science is almost equivalent today of a high school diploma uh, in the 1970s. Uh, in many respects, that is a fair statement to make.
Yeah. How about student debt? Does that have a role in this? Because uh, we know that more people, as you just indicated, are actually going to university. There is more access to post-secondary, and I think that is a good thing. Whether it develops into something or not, uh, that's another conversation. But you can't ever go wrong with going to school. Let's be honest, it's better than some of the alternatives people find. But does the cost of education, which is just out of control in my opinion, it's ridiculously expensive, and people that go to university or any kind of post-secondary are saddled with this incredible debt, that has surely got to play some role in their ability to get into the housing market. This is absolutely the case. And so we do have about twice as many people getting post-secondary today as compared to a generation ago. And so that means we have a far greater proportion of society starting with student debt. And then the data are a bit ambiguous about are they starting with more student debt or not, but they certainly aren't starting it with less. And I think most of the signals are that they're starting with more. And so you do then have a group of people who are going to school more to take jobs that pay less and less often have generous pensions, et cetera, to then face a housing market that's gone up hundreds of thousands of dollars. This is leaving a younger demographic squeeze for time and money. And in between those pressures, they're then delaying, 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 delaying starting their homes, delaying moving out of their parents' homes, delaying starting their families. And that has a range of complications um, that society is now wrestling with. Well, demographically speaking, do we know what is the right uh, – I, mean, I feel odd even asking this, but I'm trying to understand what you're saying. So is there a, a, a good time, a better time to – let's say if you're interested in starting a family, is there a good time to do that uh, demographically or to get into the housing market? Well, uh, I think that's going to vary on – people's own individual circumstances and their risk tolerances, etc. cetera. Uh, I think you're going to hear many young people in their 20s effectively saying this is not a good time to start families, which is why you have the typical age of first birth uh, for a young woman in this country now very close to 30, whereas, uh, you know, in the 1970s, it was really close to 20. Can I get you and- to hang on a sec? Sure. Would you mind staying with us? No problem. Okay, well, we have to take a break. We will come back with Dr. Paul Kershaw. He is uh, at UBC and the uh, the founder of Generation Squeeze. We'd also like to open the phone to you if you'd like to talk to Dr. Kershaw. Our number is 604-280-9898 or star 9898 if you're on your mobile device. Vancouver Real Estate Today on News Talk 980 CKNW. We are speaking to Dr. Paul Kershaw. He is the founder of Generation Squeeze, which is an advocacy group for policies that are more fair for the millennial generation of Canadians. On behalf of all millennials, first of all, thank you. Um, I got a question for you. Uh, I have a friend who, uh, I'll use him as an example, but I've heard a lot of cases similar to this where you know, he he's he actually was a former realtor. Now he sells uh, mainly on Amazon. He has a number of companies, so he can work anywhere in the world. So his situation is he's in Vancouver, lives in the village. Uh, the person who owns his current unit is going to sell it, so he's going to get evicted, and he's fine with that. Now he's thinking to himself, do I want to buy in Vancouver? Do I want to sublet a room? Do I want to rent a new condo? You know what? Why bother staying here? I'm going to go to Mexico where it's $600 for a month for me to live. And I'm heard, I've heard more and more stories of millennials just saying, you know what, forget Canada. We're going to go anywhere in the world because we can do that now because of the digital world. Are we at risk here in our country and specifically in Vancouver of losing a lot of great, great talent because simply the fact that why would they bother to even invest in real estate here or, or want to buy here? 
I think this is a serious risk. I think one of the dominant narratives we have in British Columbia right now is that our economy is one of the best in the country, that we have reasonably low unemployment rates, we have decent growth uh, by comparison with other places, especially Alberta, and so that we're doing so well. But I would argue that the data actually show we have one of the most problematic economies in the country, especially from a generational perspective. It happens to be that B.C. is the province that has had full-time wages drop further for young people than anywhere else in the country over the last generation, all the while housing prices have gone up so much more. And while I don't think everybody has as much flexibility as your friend in terms of thinking about relocating to Mexico, you're definitely having people say, you know, really, you know, even talented, lots of education, who can land a pretty darn good job here, nevertheless saying, but I can't stretch my income to make the major cost of living housing do anything reasonable for me, and then think about relocating. And so we've partly seen that over the last while to the Victorias and the Kelowna's and the regions. And now there's to some degree an exodus even for, you know, to the other coast of the country. Uh, but this is a real problem that, that we are not yet grappling with. And I think it has to be, you know, at the top of mind for all political parties heading into the next election yeah. in May 2017. You know, as millennials, we are, we are, all, uh, we are told, forget like getting into a job and going to getting that, uh, that job that will give you that pension like your parents had. That, that was kind of a, a way of thinking we were, we were told to stay away from. We were told that, you know, it's a new, a new era. And, and as far as investments in real estate, uh, if you want to buy something, you have to go to mom and dad to get some money. And that's, you know, that's what I had to do to get my first place. But this was years ago. Um, now do we have to look at housing as just a, a need and not really a, a, a means to make, uh, to make money as, uh, as our parents did? Yeah, it, this is why we have the Homes First petition. And what we're saying is that we need to recommit to the idea that really the primary purpose of a housing market has to be to supply an efficient uh, num- an efficient supply of suitable homes that are in reach for what people can earn where so they're working. That's essentially what you're calling for. Yeah, so that's what Homes First is. Okay. If we can still have it such that people can make returns on their housing investments, then great. But the, the commitment to returns has to now be secondary to simply providing homes. Otherwise, what are we doing this all for? Mm-hmm. Because we were talking earlier before the break about the demographic issues, and I was mentioning how you know we're squeezing a group of people who happen to be in their prime childbearing and rearing years. And then what we're picking up is because you're squeezing those adults in their prime childbearing years, we end up squeezing the kids that they're giving rise to. So we pick up in British Columbia, for instance, that one in three kids are starting in kindergarten in ways that are they're vulnerable, vulnerable to failing more than we'd like, vulnerable to winding up in jail more than we'd like, and vulnerable to becoming sick more as adults at higher rates than need to be. And these aren't the poor kids necessarily. In fact, the majority of kids who are starting in kindergarten now who are vulnerable actually reside in the middle and upper income households and neighborhoods because this socioeconomic squeeze for time and money is, um, has shifted to just the vast majority of young adults. And then it has these intergenerational implications that cost us lots of money. So you're saying because mom and dad are maybe working two jobs, part-time jobs, or they're not spending enough time with the kids, is that kind of... Yeah, it's not that they're not spending quite enough time with kids. It's not the parents' fault. I mean, young adults right now are doing a remarkable number of things to adapt. Like they're Mm -hmm. taking on more paid work uh, than people than households did in the past. They're willing to delay starting homes. They're willing to pay more for homes. They're willing to live smaller. But I mean, think about it. In this region, right? You'll have many young adults today say to their kids, "Hey." Go play on the balcony as opposed to go run around yeah. in the backyard. <laughs> yeah. It's different. We shouldn't yeah. be laughing, but yes. Uh, uh, Paul, let me ask you this. Uh, in, in relation to this conversation, uh, and, uh, does the stress or anxiety or mental health play a role in this at all for millennials or Gen Xers? 
You know, this is an interesting thing, and I work at the School of Population Health, but I'm not a mental health expert. Uh, but there is an interaction between these uh, time and money pressures that are playing out, pushing the major milestones of, of adulthood further away from people in their 20s and early 30s. And when you do that, you start to create for a younger demographic questions that in quiet moments people will ask, what am I doing wrong? You know, when I look back where my parents were a generation ago, they seem to have so much more financial security. Uh, or my parents, they've immigrated here. They made major sacrifices for me to get further ahead, but I'm not living up to that dream they had for me. What am I personally doing wrong? I can't tell you how many people in their 20s, 30s, and even early 40s have told me that from coast to coast over the last several years as I've traveled. And what Generation Squeeze is doing is reminding people that it's no individual fault that earnings are down thousands of dollars for young people. And it's no individual's personal fault that housing prices are so much higher. Those are big systemic changes that no individual controls. And when they recognize that, Gen Squeeze can actually do a better job than Prozac or other anti-anxiety medication at giving them a bit of information to say it's not you personally failing. It's actually something failing at a much broader systems level. And so let's come together and make that change. Because in Canada, we have a proud tradition of building and adapting public policy to solve big problems facing entire generations that individuals alone can't work their way out of. In 1976, nearly one in three seniors in this country were poor. They were too likely to go bankrupt when they wound up sick at a hospital, and they were too unlikely to be able to stretch their income to retirement after a career, especially a career of caregiving. But we said it didn't need to be that way. So we built our health care system, and we built our retirement income security system, and now seniors report the lowest rates of low income of any age group in the country. And that's beautiful and great, and what it should do is inspire us to ask now, what can we do to address the fact that socioeconomic vulnerabilities have shifted toward young people and let's build and adapt some policy that we can be proud of in the future knowing that we've done for a younger demographic uh, what we did for an, age, an aging population you know speaking as a millennial and for my wife and my wife and I were uh, we're both coming up on 34 years of age and uh, we're both at the point where we're, we're thinking of kids obviously and we're thinking you know what uh, can we do that here in we should Vancouver? talk <laughs> we should talk and, off air. Uh, and um and and we're thinking of this and and we're just kind of coming to the realization that uh, maybe it's not such a great idea and you know what we we do want kids but we just don't know if we can if we can make ends meet here in this city I want to answer in, that in Dr. Kershaw so. I I would say this to you uh, and this is based upon experience every generation and, and we'll get Dr. Kershaw to to comment but it seems to me that in the 60s the 70s the 80s the 90s and now in this new millennial that we have that people in your age bracket or younger have have been told you'll never be able to afford kids you'll never be able to afford a house and if we actually adopt that attitude you will in fact not have kids and you in fact I'm and I'm, I'm saying you the generation will not have houses there's got to be some truth to what I'm saying Dr. Kershaw I think um Here's how I would answer the question. When it gets to the place where talented folks like those of you listening to the show right now uh, feel like our country is such that despite all our prosperity, young adults may not be able to make a go of it starting a family, then something has gone wrong. We're not realizing our prosperity. Our country produces more prosperity than it ever has in the country's history. We have way more, um, a way larger economy than a generation ago. But what's happening is we're not actually then organizing the use of those dollars in ways that are fair between generations. And so I think what we can say is, yeah, people should be able to start their families, 
And if we come together and ask the world of politics to work for young people, we can say, hey, childcare won't cost the equivalent of a second mortgage. You can have some time with your baby following its birth on parental leave, and that doesn't mean you're going to lose the equivalent of another mortgage. And we'll make transportation less expensive, and we can deal, deal with your student debt differently. We do those things, then yeah, people can deal with higher housing prices and have their families. And that should be the vision of a candidate that works for all generations, that most, motivates one and all. How's your time today? Are you able to stay with us through another break? You know what? I actually have commitments after this, but I'd be pleased to join another time. Okay, we'll, we'll get you on another time. Just one last comment, if you would, because uh, this is bothering me as well. What, where is all the money from the boomers, the, the older boomer generation? Where, where has it gone? Where is it going? Is it not filtering down to Gen X and millennials? Uh, two things. At the individual level, people are living seven to nine years longer now than a generation ago. So you're delaying when intergenerational transfers of wealth happen within families. And so it's less likely to come to families when they have young kids at home. Second of all, uh, that wealth that we've been producing as a country, when we collect more of it in taxation than we did uh, a generation ago, it's not the government smaller now than in the past. But what it's doing is it's going disproportionately to two places, income security and retirement, for which some people have done a decent amount of prepaying through the Canada Public Pension Plan, and then medical care, where we have not had prepaying. And this is complicated but important. Uh, you know, when, young, when today's aging population were young, there were about six and a half workers for every senior drawing on medical care. We're now at a place where there's only three workers for every person uh, who's a senior drawing on medical care. And that means we're taking a lot bigger chunk of the tax dollars from a younger demographic and putting it into the medical care for their right. parents and grandparents. And that is an issue of intergenerational fairness we're going to need to grapple with. And with that, we'll thank you so much for your time, and we will call on you again. Dr. Paul Kershaw, founder of Generation Squeeze. You can look online for their website. Uh, we appreciate your time today, and thank you for hanging in there with us. My pleasure. And if people want to sign that Homes First petition, they can do it at gensqueeze.ca and look for Code Red. That's the campaign. And we'll open up the phone to you if you have a comment on this or anything else on Vancouver Real Estate Today, 604-280-9898 or star 9898. John Meyer and I will be back in just a moment on News Talk 980 CKNW. Our thanks again to Dr. Paul Kershaw from Generation Squeeze. Uh, an interesting conversation. We can pick up on that or anything else having to do with Vancouver Real Estate today at 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on your mobile phone. And, uh, you know what, I just want to reiterate when, when I mentioned the fact that my, my wife and I were, were thinking of having kids and not sure if, you know, if we could do it or if it was a good idea, I meant in this city. You know, right. I, I can move elsewhere and probably do it and it makes sure. fiscal sense and, you know, I can manage did the she money. Te- did she text you? No, oh. I don't even have my phone. I left it in the cab this morning. Um, that's enough. a true story. And if you found a cell phone in your cab, please uh, call a, the newsroom. A, a brand new cell phone. Yeah, that, that. Uh, my wife's going to kill me on that one. But what my my point is this: that you know, more and more people like me, I'm sure I'm not the only one that are thinking, you know, I don't want to stay in Metro Vancouver because what's the point? Do I want my kids to go outside and play on the balcony, or do I want them to have a backyard? Yeah, no, I, I and, thought that was very poignant. And so that, that that was kind of the point I was making that, you know what, it's and it's not just Vancouver proper. It's, it's you know, everywhere is expensive yeah. out here. Well, you know, and, and you have that view. You've lived elsewhere. You're, you were uh, just recently a, a convert to the West. You uh, were spending your time in Ontario. 
and you had a house there, and life was very good. But you have moved to this part of the world, to the West Coast, because the lifestyle of the West Coast attracted you, as it does so many people. And that's part of the reason why our market is so crazy out of control, is because people want to be here. But the balance, too, is that lifestyle. You, you can't be working six different jobs to pay for here. You know what I mean? You, you come here for that lifestyle. You still kind of want that lifestyle, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. And, uh, you know, but I, I still look back to other markets for investments because I, I just, you know, it's it's pretty tough here in uh, in Metro Vancouver. Hi, Lauren. Hello. What did you want to say? Yeah, interesting, interesting conversation you're having there. I have three kids, two boys and a girl. A lot of my friends have kids. And here's the problem is we can help them with the down payment. However, with what the jobs pay today for the kids, they cannot make the monthly payments. Mm-hmm. And we'll be damned if we're going to make the monthly payments for them because it's not right and can't afford to do it. Right. You know, and, and coincidentally, the wages today seem to be stuck in the 1980s. And that's when the wages stopped rising. And coincidentally, with, with the wages stopping to rise, was when Canada brought in, you know, opened our doors wide to uh, um, cheap labor from the third world. And our kids today have to compete with, with those sources of cheap labor. And, uh, you know, most employers will tell you that the, the people from the third world that we're bringing in, they don't ask for holiday pay and, and all this. Well, that's that's partially correct. Uh, yeah, at, I'm what... not saying it's 100% correct, but, but it's, it's a good point. No, your point is well taken. What I wanted to say in terms of cheap labor, it's not just people that are coming here. We need we actually need more people to come here. That's, that's the reality. We don't have enough people to fill the... I know you're going to say there's lots of unemployment, but we really don't have enough people here now to fill the jobs that are needed to be filled. Where that cheap labor really plays its role out is when we have our goods manufactured elsewhere. So whether it be Mexico, whether it be where, it doesn't, it can be anywhere where labor is cheaper than it is here. In fact, Mexico, the the cost of labor is rising and many companies are moving out of Mexico now. So these companies will always go to where the cheapest labor is. True enough. And your point about uh, the down payment is appreciated. Your kids should consider themselves lucky. They better start planning now because they're going to need all the help in the world they can get. Got to leave it there, Lauren, but it's a great call. Thank you for that. If you want to jump on, we have to take a break, but we can get you on uh, in our remaining minutes here on Vancouver Real Estate Today, 604-280-9898 or star 9898. Back in a moment on News Talk 980 CKNW. Our phone number is 60... Oh my goodness, I'm sorry. 604-280-9898. I'm very excited about Generation Squeeze, the conversation that we had with Paul Kershaw of UBC. Star 9898 is our number mobile. And Breton in Coquitlam, what did you want to say? Yeah, I just my solution to the Generation Squeeze, because it's uh, as much as it's almost impossible to come up with that down payment without help from a family, I'm uh, just about to complete my Red Steel tradesmanship because we have a serious lacking of tradesmen right now. Mm-hmm. And my girlfriend, who I live with, has done post-secondary education as a uh, veterinary assistant, and I'm a uh, bricklayer. And we have no problem keeping up right now. We have about $4,000 a month as, of disposable income. So we're going to have no problem coming up with the mortgage payments. So all those people struggling to find employment right now, seek the construction industry, get a trade. We do not have enough tradesmen in BC right now because everyone wants to get into the information industry and be a computer technician or 
a graphic designer or even an engineer or a blueprint writer. There's not enough workers out there. Thank you very much, Brett. And uh, I think both John and I are, are uh, nodding our heads. I couldn't agree more with you. Yeah. Uh, there seems to be a real lack of uh, desire to get into trades. Although it's getting better, it's not nearly where it needs to be. And this is one of the reasons why uh, so many people are, are you know coming here for these types of jobs. And uh, they're great jobs. They're well-paying. But everybody, as he said, not everybody, but, I mean, we're generalizing. A lot of people seem to want to get into the, the IT game. And, and I think some people get scared off that they think it's, you know, uh, too difficult of, of jobs to do or physically demanding. Right. Um, a lot of these jobs, these these are very smart guys doing this work. And they're Absolutely. using their brains more than their, their brawn sometimes. <laughs> Absolutely. You know what I mean? I have brothers that are all do that, uh, you know, f- that type of work, and uh, they make very good money as well as as he does. As Breton mentioned, there he's having no problem making ends meet, and I believe that's true. But uh, for some people like myself, it's it's still difficult to uh, to 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 make ends meet. And I think the point is that you know what? Yeah, we can make this extra money, but when we're buying housing in Metro Vancouver, should we be thinking about buying for that investment or buying for just simply a roof over your head? And that, that yeah. is the point of the, the generation squeeze. True. But what he's saying is, uh, is that if you want to make that kind of money, you have to get into a vocation that will pay those kinds of wages mm-hmm. because uh, that would be one of the industries, if I can put it that way, the, that um, skilled trades, skilled trades they get that kind of money. Uh, other vocations don't pay that way. They haven't kept up at all since late 70s or early 80s. You know, we're out of time. This is a great conversation, John, that we'll have to continue in weeks to come. John Meyer, and uh, a great job as always. Uh, we'll do this again next weekend. We thank Mike Given. My name is Ian Power. Stay with us for CKNW Weekend. This is Vancouver Real Estate Today on News Talk 980 CKNW.